If you're relying simply on the outside, on the external, sooner or later you're going to run out of ammunition. You know what I'm saying? Now you may attract attention, but you will not attract lasting affection. Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Yesterday, we began the first in a multi-part message examining the roles of men and women in the church. This message is part of our study in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and our passage is from verses 8 to 15. Now, as we mentioned yesterday, this topic is very controversial in today's churches. But our prayer is that when Pastor Brogy is done, you'll have a better grasp not only of what God's Word says, but how it's meant to be understood. As we pick up today, let's begin with a quick review of prayer and the attitude we must have with God and with man to ensure that God will listen, and also the importance of men leading the prayer in public worship. Now the Bible makes a distinction between positional righteousness and experiential righteousness. If you've been saved by the grace of God, then this morning, positionally, you're righteous because you're in Christ. He looks at you as justified, declared holy, saint, a saint by calling. But while you may be positionally holy in the sight of God, your experience may be less than what God is calling you to do. You are to be holy as He is holy. On the one hand, past tense, you have been sanctified. On the other hand, present tense, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus, namely, your sanctification. God wants us to live out in our practice what is already true of us positionally. And so when God promises in James chapter 5, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much, He's not simply saying the effectual fervent prayer of a Christian that is someone who has positional righteousness accomplishes much, though that certainly is required. He is saying in the context that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, experientially speaking, accomplishes much. You say, how can you know that with absolute certainty? Well, not only based on the illustration that he gives with Elijah, but because of other scriptures that interpret that for me. For instance, the psalmist said, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Now we take that verse and we dump it all the time on the unbeliever. That there's a separation between God and man. But in both passages of Scripture, he's not speaking of the lost. He's speaking of the saved. That God sometimes doesn't say yes, no, or maybe. Sometimes God doesn't even hear it. Why? Because if I cherish, cling to, hold on to, iniquity in my heart, God chooses not to hear. And so whether your prayer is done on your knees, with uplifted hands, with eyes open, eyes closed, on your face, it means very little if you're unrepentant in your heart. Effective prayer must come from me being a, in a right relationship with God and a right relationship with man. What is far more important than the posture of the body is the posture of the heart. And we would do well to make sure that we've prepared ourselves before we go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. And so men, you are to take the lead in prayer. That doesn't mean you just stand up and pray. It means that when you do stand up and pray, when that is appropriate and all things are to be done in order, 
You do it out of a heart that is right with God and right with your fellow man. So having addressed the conduct of the men in the public worship in verse 8, now in verses 9 through 15, Paul addresses the conduct of the women in public worship. And in this section, he divides it into two realms. First, the women's dress, and secondly, the women's behavior. Now, we'll deal with the first today, and Lord willing, next time, and possibly in subsequent weeks, we will deal with the second part, the women's behavior, especially as it relates to this very controversial realm of ordination. Now, let's consider the truth, though, highlighted here in verses 9 and 10. I learned three principles about a woman's dress. First, women are to adorn themselves in modest apparel. They are to adorn themselves in modest apparel. Notice, if you will, how verse 9 begins. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves. Now, I think before we read any further, it would be appropriate to stop right there. It is quite true that Paul is going to go on to instruct that when a woman adorns herself, she is to do it modestly and discreetly and sensibly. But the fact is, is that Paul is affirming the truth that there is a place for a woman to adorn herself. Ladies, if you've been looking for the biblical basis for going to the mall, it's right here, all right? There's no biblical justification from the Scripture for Christian women to be dowdy or frowsy in the way they dress. They are to adorn themselves. Now, God never commands a man to adorn himself. He just commands a woman to do that. Why? Because God made women different from men. And God does not prohibit feminine adornment. Now, let's think about this word adorn for just a moment. It appears in both a verb and as a noun, though it doesn't come through in all of our English translations. But the verb is the Greek word cosmeo. You can hear our English word cosmetics. Literally, the Greek word means to arrange or to put in order. And so when a woman adorns herself, she is arranging or putting in order herself so as to enhance her beauty. That's the thought behind the Greek word as a bride would adorn herself for her husband. And so when a lady is adorning herself properly, she is showing herself at her best. And so the question begs, wherein then does feminine beauty lie and how ought it to be displayed? Well, of course, it is here that some will take issue with the modern expression of adornment. And there are a number of issues and factors that we need to consider. Now, first, let me say that Scripture itself would take issue with a modern society that puts emphasis only on the externals. Now, God is not down on bodily beauty. And if you want some Scripture that affirms feminine beauty, read the Song of Solomon. No, I believe some evangelicals may be afraid to read it. But the Bible talks about outward appearance. And it's okay to adorn yourself, but the Bible also speaks to the fact that man's tendency is only, tends to only look on the outside while God looks at the heart. And so in keeping with that very principle, there's another kind of beauty that is more important and that's more permanent. And that beauty is the beauty of conduct and character, which both apostles, Peter and Paul alike, address. If you remember from our study of 1 Peter, the apostle wrote in the third chapter, and let not your adornment be merely external. 
braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. And Paul basically says the same thing here in 1 Timothy 2. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works as befits women making a claim to godliness. That is, the beauty of character and conduct is fitting for the Christian woman who calls herself godly. Now, there is a contrast here between the physical and moral beauty and the context, and the contrast seems to be in terms of emphasis. Now, I don't believe that Paul is saying here that a woman cannot wear jewelry, that she cannot wear a nice dress, that she cannot braid her hair. I think the context does not bear that out. Paul is not teaching here that they should um, not be interested in the body only and just focus on character. He's not saying that. Paul assumes that a woman's appearance will be modest and that her adornment will be fitting and proper. He says that. You ought to adorn yourself modestly and discreetly. But I believe what he is doing here is he goes on to emphasize, not to the exclusion of, but he goes on to emphasize the kind of conduct and character that God primarily wants a woman to carry out. Again, I know that there are some denominations you walk into and none of the women have makeup on. And they won't have a single piece of jewelry on. And this is the verse that they principally appeal to. But I think that those who interpret it in that fashion miss the context in which Paul is speaking, not to mention that linguistically, many of the no buts in Scripture are comparative and not exclusive. Let me explain. Sometimes God says, uh, or the not buts in Scripture, on the one hand, God says, don't do this, you're not to do this, but you are to do this. And sometimes when God says that in Scripture, He is not excluding one thing for the place of another. Now, context alone has to determine what's in view. But let me give you an example, and I think it will make sense to you. For instance, in John chapter 15, and verse 15, Jesus said, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Now, elsewhere, Jesus reminds us that we are servants. He told us that the servant is not greater than his master. He told us that he that would be great among you must be the servant of all. So when he makes this statement here in John 15, 15, he's not excluding the fact that we are his servants. He is simply affirming that we are not mainly or only servants, but the main emphasis in terms of your relationship with me is one of friendship. And so when God says here that your adornment is not to be such and such, but it is to be such and such, I don't believe he's giving a prohibition against all jewelry and every kind of hairdo. Rather, there is an emphasis on the requirement of modesty and restraint, and there is to be a rejection of extravagance, and it's to be replaced with good deeds and godliness. Now, the contrast is between the artificial glamour of the world and the true beauty that God can develop in your life 
as you walk with the Holy Spirit. Paul, I think, is simply forbidding the excessive use of things that are substitutes to the kind of adornment that really pleases God. Now, ladies, if you're relying simply on the outside, on the external, sooner or later you're going to run out of ammunition. You know what I'm saying? Now, you may attract attention, but you will not attract lasting affection. And I take it that this was obviously a problem in the first century, or otherwise he would not be addressing it. But God so wisely picks out the problems in Scripture that he addresses in the first century because he knows that they're going to be a problem in every century. Perhaps some of the latest fads were tempting the women in the church in which Timothy was overseeing to call attention to themselves. And God was trying to help the women that they might not be trapped, neither should we. So first he tells them, that, we, that women are to dress modestly. Now, if you're using the old King James, it's rather interesting the word that they use to translate modesty. They use the word shamefacedness. It's actually found twice. Once they use the word modesty, the other time they use shamefacedness. Now, that's an interesting old English word because a woman who possesses this quality is ashamed to go beyond the bounds in which God would have her to dress in a way that's decent and proper. That is, Paul is teaching these ladies that the manner in which they dress indicate the kind of woman that she is. Now, appearance is important. And a woman who is really well-dressed ultimately can highlight her inner beauty. Now, I know, ladies, that there are a lot of catalogs today and advertisements that mitigates against everything that God is saying in Scripture. The way the world would encourage you to dress today is not with modesty, but with immodesty. But the Apostle Peter speaks of dressing in a manner that's chaste. And Paul here speaks of a manner that is modest and discreet. Now, the world would encourage you to do the opposite. And I recognize that there are some very insecure women who are quick to parade their legs in their upper body in order to attract the eyes of men. Somehow they feel better about themselves when men are always staring at them. And what they need, of course, is a healthy view of a relationship with the living God and God's unconditional love for them. And I recognize, too, that there are some very insecure men who would like their girlfriends or even their wives to dress in that fashion as if to say, hey, fellas, look what I got. How degrading. Women are not hunks of flesh to be paraded about, but persons who are first loved by God and are also to be loved by their husbands. Christian ladies ought to dress modestly and discreetly, and they ought to save any kind of a display for their husbands, whom they promised they would do that at the marriage altar before God. Last month, I received a newsletter from a church in Dallas, Texas, very large church. I used to serve there as an elder and as a pastor. And in it, the pastor penned these words. He said, in recent years, the attire of some have descended and the opinion of many to immodesty. The truth is that I've been putting off writing this article for some time. My greater fear would be that it would be misunderstood as some form of legalism. However, after being approached by many men, women, and young people with the same concern, I realize that it needs to be addressed. Recently, a man who is a new Christian confessed to me 
that there was more temptation presented to him at, his, at this church than at his place of business or elsewhere. He is struggling to understand why his sisters in Christ would knowingly do something to make a fellow believer stumble in order to draw attention to themselves. Our standard should be higher than the world's. The latest style seems to be the shorter and tighter the better. This shrink-wrapped fashion leaves little to the imagination. It is time for parents to be uncool and to set some standards for their own children and for Christian men and women to lead by example. In Christ, Pastor Steve. Now, if I read my Bible properly, God says we're not to be conformed to, by the world. We're to be transformed through the renewing of our minds as we study Holy Scripture. And I would say even to some of the young men, just because the grunge look is in doesn't mean that you should adopt it. Some of these young men, I don't think, really understand that they are limiting, potentially, their ministry for Jesus Christ with adults and with other people in society by the way they dress. But even some women have adopted the grunge look. And many have adopted immodesty. And we are to be careful not to copy the world. You say, well, does this church have a dress code? Every church has a dress code. Now, it may not be written, but they draw the line somewhere. I mean, I don't know of any church where people can come and worship in the raw. Look, every church has a dress code. Somewhere they draw the line. Now, as your pastor, I have absolutely no desire to be the sheriff of the fashion police. And yet some of you, dear ladies, make it hard for a man like me because you allow your teenage daughters to dress in such a way where we have to confront them if they're going to participate in our youth ministry. You allow them to dress, uh, we, uh, excuse me, you allow them to dress immodestly and then we have to deal with it. And then we've got some of these dear teenage girls who are dressing chaste and modestly and discreetly, but their own mothers and other women in the church are communicating something entirely different. Now, I want to be patient with people, especially since we have so many new and developing believers, and I take it that you want to do the right thing. I want to believe the best, and I take it that in most cases, if there's been immodesty in this church, it's rooted in ignorance of what the Scripture says rather than in some evil intent. But brethren, listen, God has called us to be all things to all men that we may win some, but he has not called us to adopt the styles of the world. And ladies, I know you have to work hard to be current in your fashion, to find the kind of clothing that would be both culturally relevant and at the same time modest and discreet. And so first, women are to adorn themselves in modest apparel. Secondly, Paul instructs women are to adorn themselves in discreet apparel. Now, in addition to adorning themselves modestly, Paul also instructs that they are to adorn, adorn themselves discreetly. Now, this word discreet is a Greek word elsewhere translated sobriety. It refers to a well-balanced state of mind. It is quite entirely possible for a young lady or an older lady to dress immodestly and at the same, excuse me, let me, I got it backwards. It's quite possible for a woman to dress modestly and not at the same time to dress discreetly. She dresses in such a way that does not reflect sobriety. She dresses in such a way so as to call attention to herself. 
Now we know from even secular writings that have come down to us from the day that Ephesus was a very wealthy commercial city. And in that day, expensive hairdos and incredibly costly jewelry were constantly displayed in order to climb the social ladder. So understanding this problem, Paul knew, especially in the worship service, that if a woman did not dress discreetly, if she came in, though it may be modest, but like a neon sign, attracting attention to herself, like, wow, look at that get up. That's really bizarre. That if she were to do that, the focus would be on her when the focus is to be on the living God to whom we've come to worship. Now, please understand, Paul is not saying that Christian women must wear clothes that are out of style. He is simply emphasizing in our text that the inner person is more important than the outer appearance. Paul is urging balance and propriety. He is urging emphasis on, the, on being modest and discreet in your apparel. Why? Because that is what pleases the Lord. Someone who, addresses, who dresses in a non-discreet fashion is an advertisement to themselves. And that's not what pleases the Lord. Now third, we find here in verse 9, women are to dress in modest apparel. Secondly, they are to adorn themselves in discreet apparel. And then third and finally, women are to adorn themselves in godly character. Now, negatively, in verse 9, he's asking the women to reject the immodesty and the extravagance of the world. But Paul is not content to leave it there. In the positive realm, he wants them to develop godly character. So verse 10 begins with a contrast. Look at the very first word, but. But rather by means of good works, as befits women making a claim to godliness. Now, obviously, Paul is not suggesting that good works are a substitute for clothing, but he is insisting that the good works are the best of all adornments that a woman could take on, that the truly beautiful woman in God's sight is not to be discerned only by her hairstyle and jewelry and the kind of dress that she wears, but above all by her Christ-like character. Comparatively speaking, expensive clothes, and costly jewelry are a cheap substitute for the godly character that Paul is emphasizing. And why should they seek this kind of goal? He says, because in essence, it befits women making a claim to godliness. Godliness. Theosabea, literally God-centeredness. Any woman who professes to be godly or God-centered will always ask, what is God's view of beauty? I hope you understand that God is not down on beauty. All beauty comes from God, our Creator. But what the Scripture does is it sets the standard for beauty and it introduces moral beauty, something of which the first century knew nothing about. And even if the world may consider you to be plain, the grace of God can make you beautiful. God has given women different frames, different faces, because God has a purpose that is beyond time and space. It transcends time and space, and it looks into eternity, and God needs different kinds of frames in which to display, display His grace and His godliness and His good works to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. So never reject the way God has made you. 
and what the world may consider plain, God in his grace can make absolutely beautiful. There's a more important kind of beauty, Paul is saying, that as women you should cultivate. Now, ladies, you are to wear the kind of priceless jewelry that Peter calls a gentle and quiet spirit. What Paul calls here godliness and good deeds. And ladies, if you are depending on your outward beauty to have a happy marriage, you are involved in a losing battle. But when a lady is beautiful on the inside, and when she's growing in that beauty, she becomes all the more attractive to her husband. There's no contrast and dichotomy in the mind of God here between what he is saying and what the world is saying. He is plainly clear that the kind of beauty that pleases him is that which is in her. A glamour, it's corruptible. It's fading. The glamour girls of today will be the grandmothers of tomorrow. And young men, I would say to you, as you look for a prospective bride, you need to look past the cosmetics and look at the heart. Look at the character. Now let me say, if you're here today and you've never met Christ, I know somebody's probably asking, at least on television, who is this guy? What world is he living in? Well, the Bible reminds me that a natural man, a non-Christian, the way we are naturally, physically alive, spiritually dead, cannot accept and embrace the things of the Spirit of God. So if you're not saved, you have a bigger problem. Your problem is not jewelry or hairdos or dresses or women preachers. It's a problem of sin. And God hates sin. And God someday will punish sin with a holy wrath. And unless you flee to the one mediator, Jesus Christ, who by his substitutionary death took your place, unless you go to him by faith, your sin will never be forgiven. But if you will come to him by faith, you'll have a birth from above. What man needs is not a boost from below. He needs a birth from above. Jesus said, you must be born again. And when you are born again, by embracing Christ as your personal Savior, the Holy Spirit will come into you. He will begin to develop inner character. And this book that may today make no sense will make absolute sense to you. I invite you, if you've never received him, to receive him today. Let's bow our heads in prayer. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning, I invite you, if you've never been saved, to call upon the name of Christ today. Whoever will call upon his name will be saved. That's the promise of Holy Scripture. And if you're here today and you're uncertain about your eternal destiny, God wants to save you today. But he has only one way of saving you, and that's through the God-man Jesus Christ. He took your place. He died on that cross. He took your wrath. And if you will call upon his name today, he will receive you into his kingdom. Would you do that? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner? Would you tell him, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. Lord Jesus, save me. Now, our Father, we thank you today for the truth of Holy Scripture. We bless you that your church has not been left adrift, but you've given us some solid principles to stand upon. And we ask that in these days that our own thoughts would not be confused by some of the false teaching of our day, but that we would be able to squarely look at the Word of God and understand what it says that we might make proper application in our lives. As men and as women, we might not miss the best that you've designed for us as our Creator and as our Heavenly Father who loves us. So we commit our way to you and we thank you in Jesus' name. 
For a copy of today's message in its entirety, call Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and request program 1TM4, The Role of Men and Women in the Church. And don't forget the complete library of Dr. Brogy's messages are available to listen or download online at searchthescriptures.org or on our free Search the Scriptures app. Tomorrow we'll continue our look at the roles of men and women in the church and see what God says regarding the ordination of women. Join us then when again we search the scriptures. <music>